Good morning. Welcome to our online service. I'm so sorry for the delay, but I'm so grateful that I can join you this morning on God's day, on this day of worship. I'm excited to dig into the Word of God a bit. First John chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to these words. I pray that they'll encourage you because they give great insight into our need for community, for togetherness, or that old word we like to use, fellowship. Listen to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. What we have seen and heard, we declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I'd like to share with you Three criteria for community, for fellowship. John spoke into a culture that had been inundated with false teachings and false beliefs concerning God's love, concerning the gospel, even concerning Jesus Christ. And some of these false teachers who uh, uh, slyly made their way into the church had but one purpose, to build their own identity and popularity and to distort the truth. So John spoke about the truth in the context of Christian fellowship and how our togetherness builds upon the absolute truth of Jesus. So welcome to part seven of our teaching series, Conversations. Now we have listened to Jesus bring individuals from mainstream of life into personal conversations concerning his truth for them and his love and redemption for them. We've also listened as Jesus had conversation with his own disciples. But now we shift a bit and we listen to how the Spirit of Christ has spoken through first century apostles, our pastors, like John, into the church of the first century. The words I just read represent an opening message from 1 John an epistle or a letter that was actually circulated to many different churches. Unlike some of Paul's letters where the, the indication was monogrammed by the name of the letter concerning who had received the truth, what we have here is a letter that's simply named after the writer, John, and he wrote in such a fashion that many different faith communities could hear his words and be encouraged. And because God breathed these words, the truth remains timeless for our lives today. The conversation we peer into from 1 John focuses upon fellowship, upon community. And I love how the writings within the epistles, all of these letters of the New Testament, represent personal conversation. Although not in a classical sense or in a conventional sense, certainly by way of conveying truth, these words were meant to be very personal. Over and over again, John wrote with the statement, Dear children, to indicate he had a deep affection for those to whom he wrote. And I'll have to tell you this morning, with affection, I, I preach these words. I, I truly join John, and, and I, I mirror the Spirit of Christ by simply saying, we really do care that this truth come forward and, and impact your life in a great way. Today, the impact rests upon our focus of community. When John wrote, we have seen and we have heard and now we testify about Jesus so that we may have fellowship, John demonstrates what truly constitutes or, or creates community, a community of faith. And so I'd like for you to join me in leaning in just a bit to better learn what truly 
makes community, a criterion uh, for community. And there was a wonderful story that came from eastern Somerset, England, a little township by the name of Fromm. And in this little township, there was a dramatic decrease in hospital admissions because of a collective project that de demonstrated a medical breakthrough. Do you know what the medical breakthrough was? <laughs> Nothing that had to do with medicine. The medical breakthrough was something called community. This is what was written about this encounter in from in England. After a trial study, the data showed that when isolated people uh, who had health problems were supported by community groups and volunteers, the number of emergency admissions to the hospital fell spectacularly. One doctor commented, no other interventions on record have reduced emergency admissions quite like this. Can you imagine community, togetherness, belonging actually had an impact on one's infirm physicality. People who were sick began to find great strength in their recovery because of community. So if community rest as a very necessary agent to, to physical recovery, how much more important does community rest upon the necessity of the church? Our togetherness and our belonging one to another uh, leans heavily upon the beauty of, of community, of this old word in the Bible, fellowship, from the Greek term koinonia. So I'd like to share with you from this one statement in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, Three specific criterion from this verse concerning community. Now, there are many others all throughout the Holy Scripture, particularly in the epistles of the New Testament. But here we have three very simple and, and I would say very, very necessary reminders of what creates community. The first criterion is this. We are a witnessing community. The church represents a witnessing community. Now let me read these verses again with you. In verse 3, we heard this earlier. What we have seen and heard, we declare to you so that we may have fellowship. The fellowship, the togetherness, builds upon John's statement, what we've seen and heard. Now if you were reading the first three verses of 1 John chapter 1, you would actually read verse 2 almost like a parenthetical statement encased in parentheses. So there seems to be a seamless message between, between verse 1 and 3. And so in those two verses, twice John said what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've touched, what we've beheld with our eyes. John references his own encounter with Jesus as the witness and then demonstrates that testimony to the first century Christians for the basis of fellowship. What John witnessed, he passed on so that those who trusted Jesus could also witness the, the redemption, the love, and the ministry of Jesus. So the church, wherever the church is, if that church centers on Jesus Christ, then that church represents a witnessing community because we've witnessed what Christ has done and now our lives live that witness out to others. Now this truth becomes demonstrated not just here, but actually even in the Old Testament. Long before Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and you shall be my witnesses, God had already declared many, many centuries before that his people represented a witnessing community. One example of that uh, expression comes from Isaiah chapter 43 verse 10. 
Uh, that particular chapter almost gives the, the picture of a cosmic courtroom scene where God calls the pagan nations together to observe the, the one true God. And then God calls his own people to be his witnesses. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10, uh, the prophet said to, about his people, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. So even in Israel's history, God declared them as a witnessing community. They mirrored to the pagan nations, the one true God. Today, as John wrote in 1 John 1, 3, we have this fellowship and it, the fellowship is built upon what we've seen and heard through Christ. We too, as followers of Jesus in the church, are individuals that belong to a witnessing community. The Old Testament proves this. But from the Old Testament, let's now look into the New Testament and to that very familiar verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said, and you shall be my witnesses. The Greek structure of that text actually expresses something that, that uh, demonstrates an absolute truth. Uh, many times we may hear that verse and think that Jesus is commissioning a witness. Now, Jesus does commission by way of geography, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth are where you'll be my witnesses. But when Jesus declared in Acts 1-8, you are my witnesses, witnesses, the language demonstrates what becomes absolute, indicating that the mandate didn't make the disciples witnesses. They were already witnesses. Uh, Jesus creating in them the call to, to be on mission for Christ became their identity, thus the mandate followed. Jesus said, you... You are my witnesses. This becomes who you are. And I love that demonstration and that, that clear distinction. You're my witnesses. So from the Old and the New Testament, we as the followers of Jesus, the church, we are referenced as a witnessing community. Now let's make application. I, I love how the, the words of Christ in such places as Matthew chapter 11 verse 5 announces, if you have ears to hear, let him hear what said the Lord. I love that description and that expression from Jesus because Jesus' words demonstrate proximity. When Jesus said, if you have ears, hear what says the Lord, uh, Jesus is demonstrating one who truly leans in to listen. So Jesus was saying, if you're truly listening to me, then listen and, and hear, lean in. Jesus always demonstrated proximity to him that would, would give the experience with his truth so that our lives could be changed. And this is exactly who we are as a witnessing community. We come together to worship one, to worship Jesus Christ. So we come together to worship. We gather to worship. We scatter to witness. And we witness not because we've been taken through a program or we've been given curriculum to, to read. We are witnesses because we've experienced Jesus. We come together and worship the one true God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then we scatter, having gathered to worship, we scatter and live our lives in response to Jesus Christ. We demonstrate a witnessing community. I, I love this story. Uh, from 1974, Christianity Today carried this story. And the story comes from a, a letter that was written by a, an inmate in a Soviet prison. His name was Kozlov. We, we do not know his last name. But as an inmate, he witnessed with his own eyes 
Christians in that prison, and his life was changed by the gospel. So he wrote this summary. Among the general despair of prisoners like myself, we were cursing ourselves and the camp or the prison and the authorities while we opened up our veins and our stomachs and many of us hanged ourselves. Do you see the desperation in this Russian prison? Kozlov writes, while many of us did this, the Christians who were in prison did not despair. One could see Christ reflected on their faces, their pure upright life, deep faith and devotion to God. Their gentleness and their wonderful manliness became a shining example of real life for thousands. When we are in the presence of Jesus worshiping, we, we leave his presence in the formal sense of worshiping to continue worshiping and honoring him. As we live our lives day to day, reflecting Jesus to others, we as a church represent a witnessing community. So this is who we are. We're a witnessing community. We gather to worship for the purpose of truly bringing glory to Jesus Christ. And in that worship, we see more of his glory and we see less of ourselves. I'm afraid that many times people see more of themselves in worship. And when that happens, they do not depart as witnesses. They depart as having been satisfied that they prioritize themselves in worship. But when we can prioritize Jesus in worship and we gather to worship him, then we scatter as witnesses because we've encountered him. Yes, we are a witnessing community. So let me give you a second criterion concerning the community of the church, the community of faith. Again, John wrote what we've seen and heard. He spoke of the witness that built the, the identity of the church, Jesus Christ himself. And then John wrote, we, we declare this to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Now, I love how this, this verse demonstrates the term koinonia from where we uh, translate fellowship. This word indicates a, a bond of identity for a common enterprise. Now, pardon the word enterprise. I know that represents an old word, but a very old Bible scholar once made that statement. We, we have a bond of identity. We are one in our identity for a common enterprise, meaning a common purpose, a common goal, and a common mission. This represents the true meaning of fellowship. John wrote, we've witnessed Jesus, and we pass that witness to you we're a witnessing community, but we are also, based upon this great word, fellowship, we are a spiritual community. Now, let me explain. Because the term fellowship indicates that which becomes a spiritual identity. Now, I know that this might be kind of a no-duh moment where I say the church is a spiritual community, and you say, well, Ken, no-duh, we know this. But... But we're a spiritual community more than just for the fact that we say spiritual things, we do spiritual things, and we talk about spiritual experiences. No, we are a spiritual community. We are a fellowship, this quantity this one identity for a common purpose because of God's presence within us, the Holy Spirit. If I were to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, if time allowed, I could go through that chapter and, and we would discover together how each person in the church has a particular gift, but, but that gift is given to us by one Spirit. There's, there's one Holy Spirit at work in our lives, and so we are a spiritual community because we are spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit within us. This becomes the full expression of fellowship. We're alive. We are a 
community that lives because of the Spirit in us. We are not merely an organization. We are spiritually an organism. We are alive. Thus, we are a spiritual community. Now, let's understand this both practically and theologically. Practically, we are a spiritual community because the Holy Spirit resides in us and, and we're living and we're, we're, we're active. I love how 1 Peter 2, 5 demonstrates that we are living stones in a spiritual House. This becomes an amazing picture of the fact that the church is alive. And although we might have things that at times organize us, the church clearly does not represent an organization, but an organism. We are alive. I was preaching this just a moment ago at the nine o'clock service, and I looked at those gathered here and said, hey, are you alive physically? And of course, they laughed at the obvious ridiculousness of that question. Of course, we're alive. But then I ask this question that I'll pose to you in, in, in our online audience. You're alive, of course. You've got physicality. Your 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 air, uh, your 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 blood flowing through your veins. All this indicates you're alive. But if your faith is in Jesus, you're spiritually alive. Now, if you're with others, look around the room. You see people physically alive. But if those around you have their faith in Christ, you're spiritually alive. The the Holy Spirit lives in you. So understanding this practically is to understand that we have life within us. Now, if we saw the church as just a building, they consider your life like a building. So if, if we're just looking at the community being a building, and if there was a window or a door missing to a physical structure, would that, uh, would that dis, discount the physical structure? No, you would just replace the door or the window. But we're not a physical structure. We're a living entity. So when we lose a piece of us, that is felt. It matters. We need one another. We are together, bound together. We are a spiritual identity because we've been made alive spiritually. Living stones comprising a spiritual house, wrote Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. So that's the practical perspective. We are alive spiritually. We're, we're a spiritual community. But now let's look at this theologically. We represent a spiritual community because actually the Holy Spirit lives in us. And I read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. This is an amazing passage to demonstrate the Holy Spirit's work in us. We are, we are a spiritual community, yes, because of the, the Espirit de Corp, in Latin meaning the experience of meaningful togetherness. So we're, we're together meaningfully. And, and, and if we're together as followers of Jesus, we can feel that. I feel that in other countries when I visit internationally. We feel that meaningful togetherness. But there's something more here than just the Espirit de Corp, the spirit of togetherness. There's something deeper. And notice what there is deeper that binds us together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6 demonstrates this, but I just focus on verse 3. Keep the unity of the Spirit and the peace that binds us. The Holy Spirit working in our lives binds us together. If your faith is in Christ and my faith is in Christ, then there's one spirit that has brought us together. We're together because of the spirit. This becomes the theological application that takes us deeper from the practical. We're alive because the spirit has brought us together. This is a phenomenal reality. We are together. The spirit has brought us together. If I deny you a brother or sister in Christ, 
and decide I do not want a relationship with you, I actually have to deny the spirit within me. Is that not amazing and amazingly sad? That if I just simply want to push you back, I'm actually quenching the spirit in me who has brought us together. Maintain the unity of the spirit that has brought us together. We are indeed a community that is spiritual. We, we're a spiritual community as well as a witnessing community. Let me share the last criterion with you as we look at the end of 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That we may have fellowship with you and, and, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. The final criterion of community from this verse can be expressed this way. We are a doctrinally sound community. Now that may sound like the coldest of the three. I apologize, but but really this is not a cold statement to be doctrinally sound. This gives foundation to everything said thus far. In the church of the first century, even these churches to whom John addresses, there were individuals that were called successionists. They went out from the church. 1 John 2, 19 proves this. There were those who were false prophets. 1 John 4, verse 1 proves this. There were those who were liars. 1 John 2, verse 22 proves this. There were those who deceived. 2 John, verse 7 indicates this. There were individuals who came into the first century church to distract from the gospel, to provide a polluted or distorted gospel for their own popularity or acceptance. And so John points them out by stream, 